Welcome to Highly Functioning, a show about exploring, understanding, and optimizing the mind from a non-neurotypical lens. On this episode of Highly Functioning, we talk about defining your values to achieve a happy life, how emissions from suffering is not the same as finding happiness, micro-motivations to identify tasks and procedures that are satisfying for you, and reverse engineering your retirement life now as opposed to later. As always, thank you for listening. Be sure to subscribe on YouTube and your favorite podcasting app. Follow us and like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash highlyfunctioning. And if you like our content, consider supporting us at highlyfunctioning.ca. There you'll find bonus content, Q&As, and be able to provide direct input on how you can change the show. Hey, David. Hey, Winston. How's it going? I'm good, man. How are you? Good. I'm in a... I'm in an echoey room, so I just want to highlight to people. I'm, I'm at my dad's house before I move to back to Toronto tomorrow, so apologies for the quality if anyone's concerned. It's cool, man. I like the blue. It's like very like zen. You look like a I feel dude. yellow and red. Look, I'm like, I'm, my liver's <laughs> failing. You, you look like a discount Steve Jobs. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Working um, my way up. Um, well, for today, um, one of the topics that I think it'd be really cool for us to hit is um, within happiness, and it's happiness through omission. And so what I mean by this is that a lot of the time, we're so focused on like, how do I make myself happy? Like, what job will make me happy? What people will make me happy? What should I, be, what should I do to go towards happiness? And um, for a lot of people, I think it's a very difficult um, difficult question. It's a difficult um, thing to think about. Like I've had, I've had points where I sit down and maybe I didn't spend enough time thinking about it, but I think about it and like, I don't really get any like great answers. And so this cool idea that I heard about recently was happiness through omission, which is instead of having sort of role models or this idea of what you want, especially if you can't articulate it, it's find out the things you don't want and stay away from them. Uh, and it's sort of a, a flip view of thinking where it's like, if, um, there's a, if there's a general quality I don't like about myself or things that are so easily identifiable as such, um, I'll tr- try my best not to do them. And as a result, the only thing that's left over is to be happy. Um, and I don't know if it's an end be all solution and something that I've just learned about. And I find that it's, well, you might disagree, but I think it's a, I think it's a great way to look at things just because, um, it's. I find that the negative feelings or the negative thoughts are um, usually a lot more apparent in your head. And it's easier to look at those things and almost stay away from them and sort of omit yourself from doing those things so that at the end of the day, you achieve peace or achieve happiness or some form of it. What are your thoughts? This is horrible. I think it's terrible on multiple levels for multiple reasons, though I do think it's essentially in line with like the Buddhist stoic thing right? Like both Buddhism and Stoicism, just like don't, life is suffering. If you just avoid suffering, that's contentment. And that's like the best life you can live. So there's some connections to that, those philosophies, but this is awful because it's not that like, there's a few reasons. One, if you're focusing on, let's call them disvalues, things you don't like, that will just train you to focus on those things more, right? If you're always looking for negative things to stop doing, you're always looking for negative things. So there's one bad trait, right? 
Second bad trait is it's totally false to think that if you just get rid of all of the negative, somehow positive is left, right? Positive takes action to achieve. You have to move towards something. You can, there's many people who have not that much going on, not that much negative, and they're not all of a sudden happy. So this idea that the default state of a human is happy is wrong. Happiness, as I understand it, comes from the achievement of your values. And so not doing things you dislike does not achieve your values. It just leaves you neutral. And neutral is not good. Neutral is not flourishing, right? If, you're, if you were an animal, like a, let's call it a squirrel, and you just avoided everything that was harmful to you, you would still die because you're not getting food, right? And fundamentally, humans work the same way. We have to achieve the things that help us thrive and survive. Just avoiding the things that, that damage us does not do that. Um, and the third thing is, so Ayn Rand has like the idea of motivation by love versus motivation by fear. And it kind of captures this whole thing. Like motivation by love is moving towards something, right? And that is like, it's more inspirational. It like it, it gives you more life because you're, again, you're moving towards values. And it, I mean, that's also what you see kind of in, in like sociopolitical, the sociopolitical realm as well. If you just tell everyone what they should avoid doing, oh, well, you know, Marxism is bad and fascism is bad, right? But you don't tell them where to go, what to aim at. Humans don't suddenly have a good idea of what kind of system is, does work. And so I had another half point, but I think this is totally not the right approach to things. I mean, obviously it's good to identify negative things and remove them, but also nothing automatically fills that space and certainly not happiness. Okay. So, which I, th I think is a good point that you bring up, but see the way that I look at it is it doesn't seem like you're sort of fully disagreeing with it. It's just, you don't think it's the full picture of the puzzle, which is um, that, like you said, if you get rid of all the bad things, you end up in neutral, but there's also that work that has to be done to find all the good things or the positivity that you look at. So I, I, I tend to, I looked at it more as, um, and if that's the case, like I, I still, I still agree with your earlier point, but to me, that seems like the place where this sort of fits in that, um, if you stay away from a lot of these things, like the, the f example that I can come up is when come up with is when you're in a specific situation and you're asked to do something and you feel wrong about those things, or you have this like feeling in your head where like, I don't think this is right. It's the idea of stay away from those things long enough so that, or stay away, away from those things consistently. So at the end of the day, when you look yourself in the mirror, there's actually another human being that you look at that um, you're happy with. Cause you know that you've made um, not necessarily you've made good decisions, but you've avoided the bad ones at least. And yeah, but to, that, because I, I, I hear yours is more of a, that's the first step in sort of uh, fixing this. It's like, if you have an addiction, get rid of the addiction first before you go on and find all the things that are good in life. But that literally isn't how addiction is solved, right? I think you literally have it totally flipped, right? Like the proper way is to orient your life around values. And then when a disvalue comes up, it's very easy to dismiss it, right? Like people use substances as a way to fill a hole. But if that hole is not filled through ha positive means, 
it remains and a substance is an easy way to fill it. So to just tell someone, well, just stop using substances, that doesn't actually work well. You have to show them the value they can create and add to their life generally. And I think that's the case here as well. You want to have a purpose. You want to have a positive purpose of a, a goal for your life and for yourself. And then when negative things come up, you can contrast them to your positive goal and say, this isn't worth it, right? This is, I, you know, I could go party tonight or I could record a podcast with Winston and help build my media company, right? Um, if I don't have some positive to have it in reference to, okay, I think partying's negative, but why really? What's my standard? Like you also need a large value as a point of reference. Otherwise, where are you determining what's actually the disvalue? What's actually the negative thing that you're omitting? Um, and so I think you need a positive goal. And that's why so many people struggle is because they don't have that, right? So again, Ayn Rand says, uh, like, your purpose is the central value. I don't remember exactly, but it's a central value in your life, right? And so it doesn't have to be your top value, right? You could love your girlfriend more than your job. But if you don't have a productive purpose, like, what do you actually put other things in reference to, right? Because it, it will, whatever your productive purpose is, and it, can, it doesn't have to be a paid career, it can be motherhood, right? And that's an important productive career, right? Um, then everything is in reference to that, right? And it's also this idea of, you know, yes means no. Every time you say yes to something, it means no to a thousand other things. And that includes all of your other potential values. Um, so you need this reference point, uh, just swatting away negatives. Like, I don't even know how people would judge uh, that negative. Why with relation to what it has to be with relation to a positive. So if I understand correctly, it's that it might work in, I guess, large scale things that are blatantly wrong, like lying, stealing, stuff like that. But as you mentioned, when you get to very specific examples, um, you don't have a contrast. So you don't know what's bad and what's good. And uh, unless you've actually articulated what you find to be good, um, there well, is nothing for you to make it like there's no decision making tool that you have to, to, to fix it. Well, it's even with respect to lying, stealing, right? You could make arguments in, the sh in a short-term view why stealing is good, why lying is good. Oh, I'm going to get $10,000 if I lie right now. That's good, right? I mean, then we're getting into bigger, like, philosophical issues of how do you view a long-term purpose and goal. But you could argue that, like, people can argue that lying is good and it gets a value if they don't actually have a proper view of what like values are. Um, so I think this applies in every realm, right? There are lots of people who do bad things and claim it's good for some reason. Um, the greater good. <laughs> that's a good, yeah. No. Or the means justify the end or whatever it is. Right. Um, there's all sorts of excuses people use. Um, yeah. And especially if you have a, I'd say a view where you're just avoiding the bad, Right because then you could also have, well, here's two options, which one's worse. I'm just going to avoid that. And it's like, well, maybe you should find a way to get out of the situation as a whole. And you can't even, you wouldn't even think outside the box, let's say, if you're just always facing, okay, what's my current situation? What's the least bad? Mm -hmm. So the way I understand it, it's like, it's a, um, it's a blunt tool, meaning that it's better than nothing, but it's not the right tool 
anyways, um, in that like you might as it's, and I, I don't mean this to like disregard this and disregard like what you're trying to say or anything. I'm just saying that like, um, the way I look at it, it's like a while, at least from what I heard it to me, it sounded like, Oh, that's a great idea. And I guess the way that it, the reason for that is that it's better than not doing anything at all. But your argument is that sure, that might be the case. It's just that that's still not the right way of do. You're still using the wrong tools or the wrong ways in which to view your life to be happy. I would be very, very hesitant to say it's better than nothing and it's still acceptable because I used to have that view of like religious morality, right? You know, at least religious morality is better than nothing. Most people with a religious morality are pretty good most of the time, right? But it prevents them from actually finding the right answer. So nothing, people know when they have nothing in their mind, when they don't know how to find answers. And as soon as you give someone the wrong framework, that allows them to think they're functioning more properly. And so I'd be very hard, like this, I'd be hard pressed to say it's better than nothing. Mm -hmm. I would probably say it's about the same as nothing, but it also can allow rationalizations. It can allow people to do worse than if they just admitted they have no clue what to do, right? So I'd be hesitant to say it's better than nothing. Because you're afraid that if you feel like you have the right framework, then you'll just justify a bunch of random, random shit to get, uh, to do bad things. Yeah, I think so. And you see that in all sorts of like misguided philosophies. Right. Um, yeah. And so, um, I have a question for you then. So how would you, if you're, if you're someone who's stuck, uh, as, as I am sometimes, right. Um, where you're like, Hey, I don't quite know exactly what's going to make me happy. Um, and I, I, when I try to th- sit down and think about it, it's not coming. Uh, I don't get any like great answers off the top of my head. My initial view was, hey, just keep trying a bunch of shit until um, there's something that you find value in. Um, and so barring the act of omission, act of omission example and barring like the just trying a bunch of shit until you find out what's, uh, what's important to you or what you find value in, how would you sort of approach that? So there's, I have three answers that are all interrelated. One that I think, I don't know if you and I have talked about it before, but not, not nearly enough people think of it this way. When people think of finding their purpose, finding their happiness, their, you know, the meaning that their life will give, have, or whatever, right? They often think of, well, I need, yeah, what is my dream job? And they hold this thing and they're just looking for that. And that's totally the wrong way to view it um, for multiple reasons. But one of the reasons, there's this thing called micro-motivations. Um, and I just encourage people to Google it. I don't know uh, what, where I came across it exactly. But the idea is that life isn't made up. Uh, like, let's say your dream job is being CEO of a company. What does that mean? Like there are still tasks you'd be doing every day and you'd have to find those tasks enjoyable. And so micro motivations is flipping the view of what makes you happy on its head and saying, okay, no, just as you live your day, what are tasks you do that are really satisfying to you, that you really enjoy doing, even if it's a three minute thing and you just get this like pang of satisfaction. You're so satisfied you did this thing well. And for me, it's even some stuff as minor as like when I'm really efficient at data entry, 
that makes me feel good. And I would not want to do that for my whole job, but I noticed that that really makes me feel good. And then I think, why? What about it? And you try and find the principles of the tasks you do in a given day. What makes them satisfying to you? And so the example that's quite funny and interesting that I've come across, um, it was a gentleman, he was an engineer, I think, who um, created the precision alignment tool for fiber optic cables, right? And then he ended up being a successful engineer, becoming a manager, hated it, quit. And what he does now is he does custom upholstery in New York City because he loves precision alignment, right? So it wasn't that he had to find some ideal job and some like um, some position to be in. He has to think, what can I do each day that's satisfying? And that also helps you go across careers, across uh, industries and stuff. And so I think that's a really good thing. And people live their lives. And so if people just start paying attention to what they're doing each day and where, like most people, obviously not everyone, most people get some of these moments in a given day. And it's really interesting to think about why. And so that's the main, that's one of the three points. Um, do you want to talk about that a bit or should I briefly touch on the other two? So I'm a, I'm a little bit confused there because I look at that and go like, if that gentleman just to talk about the act of omission, if, isn't that essentially what he did when they, he starts going up becoming a manager? He's like, I don't like doing these things. Therefore, I'm going to stop doing these things. And the only thing that's left is him realizing that the thing that he really likes are those precision uh, instruments, right? Um, totally like, I, I'm, okay, no. so explain. Well, he knows that he liked doing precision and he's, he, I don't know his specific case as his thought process, why he became a manager. I mean, it's a very typical story, especially in engineering. If you're, if you can talk to people, you become a manager, even if you prefer uh, to do the actual engineering work. Um, but if all he was a do, doing was avoiding negatives, he would not cut, like you would not come up, oh, with a magic answer right? He knew he had a value he was missing, right? He had a value at some point. And now it's like, he's like, oh, maybe I don't have it enough. But it's, it's very hard to graph this framework onto his scenario without knowing any details. But you can't argue that anyone who avoids any disvalue proves the point that that's the primary. I avoid disvalues, but it's because I know my values. And they're always, well, this is it's in reference to that, right? So you can't actually know the way he approached why he left his job or whatever. Because like, if, if I think about like my own examples, right? Like if I was going and doing a job, I'd just be like, okay, what am I enjoying about this job? What am I not enjoying about this job? Let me stop doing things that I don't enjoy doing and really focus on the things that I do. And at least in my experience, when I started doing that, I was like, oh, like this is something, this thing is really cool, but there's something else that I find even cooler or is interesting to me. And I'll go ahead and try that. And then sooner or later, I'll find out like, what is my, um, what are the things that I absolutely enjoy doing in the work that I do? And I just focus on doing those things. Um, and so right. like, I, I look at that as a real things you do enjoy to focus on. Right. But That's didn't I just get there by staying away from the things that I enjoy less? But you're, that's not the framework you presented. Obviously, people, like you're basically now presenting something that anyone who ever avoids anything proves the framework that you presented at the start. That doesn't make any sense. 
right? Obviously, all I'm saying is that it's easier to find out the things to at least. I think that it's easier to find out the things that you want to avoid than the things that you um, want to continue doing. Only if you have positive things to reference them by. I mean, when I had no sense of purpose uh, for two years, it is miserable. And also, I had no idea. I literally just did whatever came about because I didn't have any point of reference. I think it's hard to actually know what it would be like psychologically to actually not have any values, to have none, to have no positives that you're aiming at and you're choosing to get rid of the negatives because of that, right? Um, like to just have only negatives and continue to avoid them. Um, I th- it's, it's hard to actually like embody that because most people have positives that they have in their life. And, you know, whether it's even family or what, like anything, most people have values, right? So the framework, uh, it's, it's important to isolate it, right? I have to think about that because, like, I'm not fully convinced. Um, and you know me; sometimes it t- I take things away and then and then work it through. Um, but no, I'll have to think about that. Throw a few examples at it and uh, figure out where I, where I end up. And so the other thing that's important in terms of happiness, you know, some people would call it an. You have to have your ultimate value, right? Like, what is your purpose in life? And you can think about that. But that's what's difficult, right? And so what I did is I thought, okay. When I'm 70, what do I want to do with my day? When I'm retired, what do I want my day to look like? A specific day. I wake up, what do I do? And I really thought about that. And then I just started adding that to my life. Job was one aspect, right? So maybe I'd still work then. But it's like, no, in my free time, when I can do literally whatever I want, because, you know, in my mind, retirement, I can, you know, do whatever I want. It's like, well, I'd want to read. I'd want to go to the park. I'd want to do X, Y, Z. And I just said, well, there's literally no reason I can't do these things now, right? I was only not doing them because of momentum, because of like friendships I had had. And it's like, so I really thought in a concrete way, how would I spend, you know, 20 hours or 15 hours? There's a really good book I want to reread, but it's called How to Live on 24 Hours a Day. And it's very much like the same mentality is you have 24 hours a day and how do you live on it? How do you spend that time? Right. Um, And I think that's a really important thing. And so it's kind of like micro motivations is a really specific concrete thing you can do right now. And then this is a very specific concrete thing you can do about looking at the future. And I think that's a lot easier for people than trying to find some amorphous purpose that they want, right? No, like life consists of days. Live your day now, see what you enjoy in it. Think about your ideal day. And then also you can help, that makes it a lot easier to bridge that gap than thinking, you know, I need some ideal job or whatever. And then the third point is just get started, right? This also makes it a lot easier. You know, I started adding 20 minutes of reading each day, right? And, and, start like live your life get a job see what you like right get i you know when i was 16 i started working and i had a bunch of random odd jobs and you learn what you like doing um working with people not working with people working with customers not working with customers whatever it is and so that's kind of the framework and that helps you find the positive values right i think that's much more valuable than just 
thinking about everything you don't, again, one of the first things I brought up is what do you spend your mental energy on? The more you're just looking at negatives and focusing on negatives, you'll just see them more and more. Just start living your day and try and find the positives in the day. And then even if it's a really minor thing, you can iterate towards it. And so that's kind of the way I try and think about it. And I'm guessing it's super beneficial because like we have this huge, like romanticized idea of what retirement might look like. And you sort of check that real quick. If you go ahead and do it in your day or like, I don't know, like take a week off and then do it in your day. And you're like, this is boring as hell. Like there's that classic example of like people get rich and think it's all about like jet setting and things like that. But most people would be like, yeah, this gets boring really quickly and other things are more important. Or yeah. uh, I heard one where it's like, uh, we had this idea of like, oh, you like want to drive a Ferrari everywhere, but it's like, do you know anything about what it's like to drive a fright? Like rent one for a day, as opposed to setting that as your life goal and striving for it. Rent one, see if you want to drive it down that, down the street and then you realize what it's actually like and you'll know what to, what to nip and what to get rid of. Are there any things that you thought was um, like super, that was super important or like in your romanticized idea of retirement that when you started doing, you're like, this is stupid? Not in the more recent time when I did it because I'm a pretty minimalist person. So it was very basic stuff. I used to have the, I'd want multiple cars, multiple homes, like very much the kind of, I need to be rich to enjoy my life. Um, but no, when I, when I did this like actively, it was a couple of years ago, most of the stuff I, I do now, right? Like I, I literally, I, I managed to find a job that fit the lifestyle I wanted because I focused so much on the lifestyle I wanted. Um, but nothing jumps out at me as like I had thought it would be really valuable. And then I started it. But I also think it's probably changed maybe in degrees, right? Like I do things more or less, the type of books I'm reading, the frequency, and that kind of stuff. Because I think that's important as well is this is this is in contrast to what I just said, but um, people idolize the same way they try and find what's their career, they idolize their retirement, right? And then they get there and maybe they hate it. Right. And it's like, yeah, test parts of it now. And so I'm lucky. Like I had, I had a couple of years to think about this though. Right. Um, because of a bunch of circumstances. Um, so nothing jumps out in terms of, I thought that's what I would want. Um, yeah. Cause you might find that there's, and I, I guess what you're alluding to is that, is that example of like, you might come to retirement and find out like you have all your money and you have all your, all this time, but you have zero energy to do things. Right. Like, I don't know. It's like that classic, um, that photo that you see of like, when you're a kid, you have so much time and so much energy, but no money. When you're an adult, you have, you have a bunch of money uh, and energy, but no time. And then when you're uh, retired as an adult, you have a bunch of money and time, but no energy. Right. And I think that's why it's important to really just think now, how do I want to spend my time? And very few people do that. They, they very much think, no, well, when I'm retired, then I'll have my time. And it's like, you're waiting 40 years to start living your life, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so I think it's really important, you know, bringing it back, I think it's really important to think about even specific small values, right? What, uh, what do you want the first 10 minutes of your day to be? If you have 10 minutes or more every morning that you can do whatever you want, what is that? And live your life for that for now and make that 10 minutes. It's in line with like Jordan Peterson, clean up your desk. Like pick mm -hmm. one area and make clean it. Clean up your room, man. How'd you screw that one up? Clean up your room, whatever. <laughs> clean up your um, desk. 
<laughs> no, it starts with like clean up one corner of the desk, keep this corner of the desk clean for one week. And then, yeah, yeah, yeah. and then you can go to the room, right? Um, whatever. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so, so I think in all of this, it's about what, yeah. So try and plan your ideal retirement by just thinking of all of the things you certainly don't want to do when you're 65. That does not help you figure out your retirement. And a funny story you said, I remember the first time that I, that, that I came uh, and asked you about like these questions, you're like, there's one thing that's, that is absolutely fundamental to my retirement, which is owning a bungalow. <laughs> because <laughs> you're like i absolutely hate stairs it's stupid it's horrible uh and i'm going to be a bungalow that's like massive in my future um yeah. so that's kind of funny yeah i i've thought a lot about it and i've tested my theory over a couple of years um and i basically i'm i'm a combination between the i and this is the way i think of it i've never put it together but when i think of micro motivations i think of myself as the six-year-old who just needs to find fun stuff to do all day. And it's like the six-year-old doesn't care why he's doing it or what the ultimate reason is. That's important to know as an adult, but like really most of what your life is, is just, you should enjoy your day like a six-year-old does. And so I very much try and have fun. And that's where micro motivations come in. But then the other half of me is a 60 year old lady. And I'm very content to just have my like small apartment with a nice, reading lamp and reading chair i meditate i see some friends and we chit chat and have tea like and like that's what i want i want work and play as a six-year-old and and relaxing me time as a 60-year-old lady um and like i think that- i actually find that i actually like to your point after that initial um that not initial but that podcast that we had about napping uh just i guess as a quick update i've been totally doing it now uh and it's great like today i've taken like two naps because i was just like tired but i'm like very energized right now and it's 9 p.m so um and i find that like some of the best stuff that i come up with is when i've had these long periods of rest and then when i get really excited or find something fun like you go ahead and do it and it's like a kid like if your kid wants to play basketball wants to play tag or something like they go out and do it when they feel like doing it but if they're forced into doing it it's not as it's not as fun um and i i totally identify where i think i'm a 60 year old man or 60-year-old lady where I do the same thing, like just ch- chill around, like read books and do these other things. But when I get this really cool idea of like write an article, I'll go ahead and start writing it. And at least for me, I've realized, um, like I have an Evernote full of like article ideas and I need to go ahead and attack that once I have that motivation, because sometimes I'll do 80% of the article and I'm like, oh, I'm going to go to bed, wake up in the morning and do it. And then that motivation is completely gone. And when I go look at it again, I'm like, I have no interest in writing this again. So I find that like, and for each person, it's going to be different. I'd I'd be curious to see what what it's like for you is like for the things that you want to be doing. And I guess maybe it doesn't um, relate directly to micro motivations, but do you have a, do you have a similar feeling when it comes to doing things that you find enjoyable? That like the motivation ebbs and flows? The motivation ebbs and flows. And if you don't like for a specific task, if you don't do it right away, while that motivation is present, it sort it's sort of fleeting. You have no interest in doing it later. Uh, I've had like months or years go by, but it always comes back. But I have so many interests, and what I like doing is I put visual reminders. So I have to do lists, or I have like what I call my, I call it like my virtual shelf. But it's like some bulletin boards that I just literally like. I spend time to make like nice pencil crayon 
like labels and I pin it to my board. And so I look every day at like this list of thing of my top priorities. And so it's always there. And then the motivation can like click into place more easily and readily because it's like, you never know what's going on back there perfectly. And so maybe something will click in. So I find the more I just put my interests in front of my own face, then that reactivates more often. But yeah, sometimes it goes months. Like, you know, I, I've been, I want to work on my next poetry books and stuff and I've not been in the right space. I've not been in the right mood to have that motivation come about, but I'm not concerned about it. Um, but I think if that's a repetitive thing around a specific type of task or whatever, you have to really question, right? There's a lot of more stuff that goes into what is motivation? What is discipline? How do you get yourself to do these things? And it's also training as well. Like, uh, I'm all about low hanging fruit. So I do a small task, get a hit of adrenaline. I have, I've accomplished something, check it off the to do list, and it builds from there. Um, one thing I want to add about napping though, is also that both old people and children nap, first of all. And second of all, what you said about the kid is so true. Like they'll go and play hardcore sports for three hours and just love it the whole time. Come home and freaking crash out for two hours because they're exhausted and then they're up and they go out with their friends or whatever. And we have this view as adults that we can't do that, that we can't crash out in the middle of the day to then have a way way more productive like second wind. It'd be interesting to me to see if like a like three hours overnight and three hours in the middle of the day and I, I have just twice as many days as everyone. I have, mm-hmm. I have 14, 12 hour days a week. I wonder how that would go. But, but um, it's, it's yeah. funny now that I've sort of started doing that. I'm, and of course it's too early. Like, let me test it out. And then I guess I'll come back and, and say whether it's true. But I find like, I'm really starting to be contrarian to the idea of like nine to five, you work hard and then five to nine, you sort of chill out where I think it's like complete. I think it's like bogus now that, um, I'm thinking about like the way that I'm thinking about my day is like, oh, like all from early morning, I'll like spend some time for myself. I'll go and work on a specific project that I really want to do really, really, uh, really hard. And then I'll, I'll stop and for three hours I'll read or I'll go for a walk. And then at night at like nine o'clock, I'm energized again to go ahead and do something. Um, and it's like, it's like faux pas to do, um, normally when people work like a nine to five job, but I find it, um, so much more fulfilling and, it's weird because like I felt that when I was doing that, like nine, a nine to five job, I would be, sorry, the idea just fleeted me right now, but um, I, I would, Oh, like I would, no, it just fleeted me. Yeah. The yeah. idea just, just out of my head. I think it's important to understand that the nine to five work week was, is like an old school thing. Right. There were reasons for it, I'm sure. And many people still have to work that because of, you know, the hours of the malls being open or whatever. But I think for many jobs, especially jobs that are essentially based around computer work, like it should be about each person being as productive as possible. And I'm very lucky, uh, both in my own job, like my work for my own company and uh, for the company I work for as long as I get my stuff done, that's what's important, right? And I need to work according to my schedule and I'll be more successful when I build uh, my life and have this as a, as a value I'm choosing to add to my life, right? And that's another thing, what you said about if a kid's forced to do something, 
um, they, it's not a value that's a huge thing. But it's also like when someone looks at their career, if they're choosing to pursue the career that's different than running away from starvation, right? Mm -hmm. Obviously, people need to not starve. But like the approach someone has to their job is very different. Um, and the idea just came back to me, which is that I found what I'm doing now, I would be doing nine to five, which is I would try not to pay attention to it. Where like during nine to five, I'd be like at three o'clock, like I want to go out and go for a walk or do something. Uh, but I'd be like, no, I have to work and have zero productivity. But then at like 9 p.m., I might have a great idea and I'd be like, no, I'm supposed to be resting. Like, let me rest. And it's stupid. And then I wake up the next day and be like, oh, this motivation will be here. And I have like this future self that's like super motivated. Um, and I wake up the next day and then it's gone. And then it's just a, like a cyclical feeling. And I find that like the idea of being able to like um, jump in and out of like really chilling out and being that grandmother, like you said, and then being the six-year-old when the time comes is probably a much better, better way of uh, like tackling it and approaching it. Yeah, I definitely agree. And I mean, I love it personally. <laughs> Well, uh, David, I know we went a little bit off track there, but uh, do you have any last uh, last comments or or clarifications that you want to make before we yeah, end up? I want to really reiterate that I think the initial proposal is terribly wrong and that people <laughs> should pursue values and just get started. Just get started and pay attention because um, I, I had this issue and I think a lot of people do of like, what is the answer? What is the answer to my purpose? And you just have to get started, pursue something, and you'll learn lessons. Um, and that will help you learn your purpose. You can't just sit in a room for four hours, four days, four weeks, and figure out what the perfect job for you is. Because sometimes you might come up with an idea, and to build on that, sometimes you might come up with an idea, start it, and find out that it was stupid, didn't make any sense. And now you're back to square one for another eight months. Well, and also, <laughs> like, you know, the company I'm working for, I didn't know they existed, right? <laughs> like six months before, three months before I started working for them. I didn't even know they existed. I just started pursuing my values. And then lo and behold, I ended up at a conference run by an organization that does the exact thing I'm trying to do. Who knew, right? Like <laughs> you'll never know, but the more you start pursuing stuff you start talking to people about your interests, your values. Um, yeah. yeah. Sometimes you like, if you stir the pot enough, like some opportunity that you, you're going to find interesting will pop up and you just got to go keep doing that yeah, until you find something that you like. It doesn't happen if all you do is avoid things. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> Sounds good. I, I appreciate the little spiteful remark at the end. <laughs> thanks, well, David, thanks a lot, man. I appreciate it.